Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We see the news that teen vaping's on the rise, but teens see something else. Internet videos that talk up fun flavors and downplay the dangers of nicotine. How can parents talk so kids will listen? Use facts. One, nicotine can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can make kids more anxious. Three, changes to the brain can be permanent. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the Bird Rights. My name is Preston Ellis, and I'm the host for the new home to all things Pelicans on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Follow us at the Bird Rights and get all the latest on your Pelicans at thebirdrights.com. podcast and our first quarterly report. I'm your host, Preston Ellison. Per usual, I'm joined by editor-in-chief and the steadying hand beyond the birdrights.com, Ali Cosell. Ali, the Smoothie King Center was uh, pretty empty last night, but you were there with some uh, fine arm candy. Care to introduce your plus one last night? Oh, who, just Mr. Kevin Barrios? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great, actually. The first half, I went down and uh, I got an invitation from our, our boy, Kevin. I'm Scott Trout. CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Because he had an empty seat sitting next to him, couldn't let that go. And I was sitting by myself up in the media row, so I went and joined him for the first half. Very nice. Kevin, how was, was Ollie dressed? Was he dressed like it was a, a nice night on the town, or did he show up, you know, in shorts and a T-shirt? You know, I looked at the corsage I had bought for him matched perfectly with his button down. <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys uh it's really fun for me uh as most of our listeners know i live in orlando so i don't get to just on a whim hang out with these guys so it's really cool whenever you guys go out and get coffee or go and see a game but anyway people don't care about that let's let's talk about the pelicans uh that's ollie that's kevin of course you can follow them at Ali cosell and at kevin barrios uh let's get rolling with this report first uh we'll give a quick summary of last night's victory because it was a big one getting victories against these uh, Western Conference fringe playoff teams don't just serve the team and the fan base's confidence that the Pels can, in fact, compete. It also helps a great deal once we get to tiebreakers, which we've seen come into play like we did in 2015 with the Thunder uh, in that tiebreaker with that famous Anthony Davis uh, clutch shot uh, from deep three over, I think, over Kevin Durant. But anyway, here we go. The Pels won 123-114 in a game uh, with standout performances pretty much all around. The Pelicans shot 53.5% from the field, 
39% from three while holding the Nuggets to 43.5% from the field, although they did give up an unacceptable 45.7% from three, which we will discuss later in the pod. The Pelicans also just managed 65% from the free throw line, though much of that was, I think, the seven misses from Boogie Cousins. That's not something that's typical of his free throw performances. They put up an incredible 28 assists to just 13 turnovers, exactly the type of distribution and ball management Pels fans have been hoping from in this new Chris Finch system. And everyone played well, but but Boogie, of course, was the star with a mind-blowing 40, 22, four assists, four blocks, and six turnovers. After this gratifying victory, Ollie, everyone in New Orleans is wondering, why does 13-year veteran Jameer Melson keep drilling threes with his foot on the line? <laughs> That's what everybody's wondering. Come on, I thought everybody was wondering. Who's this new Omer Ashik out there? Ah, right, you want to talk about Jameer seriously? He look, man, Jameer. You, I, I'm not gonna say anything negative about him, Kevin. Maybe if you want to, go ahead. But I think Jameer has been one of the most important pieces, actually, to this team. Um, you, you've got to bring back when he first showed up in the Pelicans uniform that Los Angeles Lakers game. They were, you know, it almost looked like they were going to lose that game out in L.A. to a. Uh, to a kind of a bad L.A. squad, even though they've got promising rookies. But Jameer made a bunch of big shots down the stretch. And since that game, he's had his moments, a lot of moments, actually, where he's come up with big shots, assists, you name it. So I'm not going to say anything bad about our boy Jameer. I'm just giving you a hard time. I love Jameer Nelson. I know, and, and I'm like going to defend said, Jameer. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I get so frustrated because it's it's on both step backs and, and that dribble hesitation. And it's when he's just approaching and just like in the middle of transition, just stepping up and taking the three. He just manages to have that, just the, the tip of that big toe on that line. And man, if we could just cut off the front of that shoe, uh, I think that would probably be six more points on the season. But anyway, I'm joking. Of course, Jameer Nelson <laughs> has been incredibly instrumental to the Pelicans 13 and 12 record thus far. Uh, Uh, As you just said, the Lakers game, the Kings game, things could have gotten very dark very quickly, if not for uh, lucking out with that acquisition. And that's that's a lot coming from me because I do love Jordan Crawford so much. Uh, Who's had trouble fighting home at this point in time? But we won't get into that. Let's let's be serious, Kevin. Talk about the game. The Pels were down 10 early before they exploded. DeMarcus Cousins was amazing. Uh, Just just talk about what you witnessed uh, last night sitting alongside Ali Cosell. Yeah, it's one thing that uh, Ollie and I talked about early in the game was that it seemed like it was on track for a game that could have been a, a bad game for Boogie where he was getting hacked and he wasn't getting calls and he was on the verge of explosion, but then they would call a foul and that would settle him down. So early on, it looked like it could veer off into a, uh, the wrong direction, but luckily he got enough calls early to uh, to not get too upset and not let it affect him, and he just came out and dominated, played a great game. Um, you know, I feel like, I mean, we've been playing great lately. Um, Darius has been great. But one thing that I've, I've noticed is it seems like we take a little bit of time to start getting Darius going when he comes into the game, which is the really the only main complaint I've had recently is, uh, you know, when he's in there, let's get him, let's run a couple plays for him, get him some shots. You know, it seemed like, I don't know, it was like he went maybe like six or seven minutes before even getting a shot off. Do you feel that way, Ollie? Was it like that for you? Yeah, for the most part. I just, I, I do want to bring up the fact that Drew Hall, they seem to be that, that equalizer. I know Boogie started getting some calls, but you know, we were down 10 points at least a couple times, I remember, in that first quarter. And if it hadn't been for Drew, who did miss his first two, what was it? I think they were layups, Kevin. We, we talked about one, on one of them he got fouled. And, of course, the referees didn't blow a whistle. But Drew kept on staying aggressive and then just tallying up, I think it was 12 points. In that first quarter, really, I thought, saved the game for the Pelicans. All right, so, let's yeah, get to Drew and, Sorry, Drew go ahead. And, uh, 
Yeah, I was going to say Drew and Rondo were were great last night. I mean, the, yeah. the tandem of them together were incredible. Now, we're going to get into individual performances a little bit better. Uh, a little bit later, we're going to talk about them in our quarterly report. Uh, Drew and Etwan have been on a tear as of late, as has Darius Miller. We'll cover that in depth. Before I get to that, this this game was was uh, a bit of an albatross in that, you know, the Nuggets were out, Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap. The Pelicans were out AD. Just two weeks ago, um, you know, the Pelicans famously gave up 146 in a very embarrassing performance to these Nuggets. But these kind of things happen where guys are out of the game. You have to take advantage. The Pelicans did that last night. What what does this game, Ali, tell us about the Pelicans um, in reference to the one two weeks ago? This is such a drastically different performance we got from each of these teams. Does this tell us anything about where these two teams stand at this point in time? I think the best way to answer this question is you've got to throw out that first game. Because when a team doesn't play with any effort and uh, basically the coach throws in the towel with the starting unit and the reserves come in, they take another dump on the floor. You can't take anything from that game. Denver started off hot, and the Pelicans did nothing to try and, you know, stop them, basically. They, they shot threes throughout the course of the game, and, yes, they hit every single shot they looked at. The Pelicans didn't put up much of a fight, especially after Anthony Davis went down. You know, they did make a little comeback. i got to give them credit for that. But once Anthony Davis went down left the game uh, with what was a concussion, I mean, it was just, you know, there's nothing else to glean from that game. So, but but we can still answer your question, and I do think that the teams are moving in opposite directions. Um, we've got to see whether, when, I guess, Denver's going to get back Nikola Jokic, who I think is supposed to be back relatively soon, but as for Paul Millsap, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's a longer time frame. And the Pelicans, they've been, you know, they've won two of the last three games without Anthony Davis against two teams that are inside the playoff picture. And um, as we've been talking over the last few podcasts, rest, the rest of the team, uh, I'm talking about the role players have really stepped up. And uh, at the beginning of the year, as everybody knows, it was just an AD, DeMarcus, you know, boogie show. Now that these role players are playing, and if, if we can get Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, kind of pr- back to that earlier season production, now you've got a Drew Holiday that seems to be firing on all cylinders. I don't know how you can think this, this team's on an upswing. And, and the rest of the schedule, I'm sure we'll get to it. It's looking really promising, Preston. Uh, they've only got one tough matchup, and that's against the Houston Rockets before the New Year. So conceivably, I was telling this Kevin last night. I could see the Falcons going eight and four um, before the you know the the change in the calendar to 2018. So as for Denver, I know they've won some games. They've got still some good shooters out there, but I feel like they've been treading wide. They've had some bad losses. They've gotten blown out a few times. As for for the Falcons, their only blowout was to Denver. And like I said, that's just something, that's just one of those games. And Alvin Gentry even mentioned it. It was embarrassing, sure, but it's not something you can really count on because that wasn't the typical group we see. So that's how I'm looking at it. Now you were listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. Kevin, uh, I'm going to go a bit off the rails really quickly. Ali just sent us uh, this on Twitter. Alexis Agensa underwent successful surgery on his right patellar p- tendon yesterday in Chicago. The typical timetable to return to play for this type of injury is four to six months. Kevin, that pretty much takes us to uh, potentially March through May. This could be the end of the season for Alexis Agensa. What's your reaction to those news? That news, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I wasn't expecting him to play, or if he did play, it's just going to be a few spot minutes here or there on the victory cigar or a blowout, you know, scenario. So, I mean, I it's I mean, it sucks that he's got to deal with that. But I was it, as far as the way the as far as the Pelicans outlook, I don't think it affects anything, honestly. 
I think the biggest effect it has, Ali, is really on the trade market. If we could have gotten Agenza back and just playing competent basketball, we could have included him and uh, a second round pick uh, to to get a, a number of options. But now that that kind of goes to Etwan Moore, you'd have to think, or maybe uh, even Ashik. But at 11 million per year, it's going to be hard to deal the the big Turkish big man up. Uh, Right now, the Pelicans don't have a lot of options on the trade market without his contract. Uh, would you agree with that, Ali? Completely. Yeah, the only way now another team is going to take uh, on Agenta is if, one, his injury isn't um, all that serious. Uh, they get their docs to get a look at and they see that he's going to recover. Obviously, a team that's going to be taking him on is going to be a salary dump, you'd have to think. So a team doesn't care if he's going to play the rest of this year. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, right now it's hard to say that the team is even considering trades. Um, I know that you know we we can point to a lot of contracts just as you did, but first of all, I can't see no way in hell that they're going to you know trade each one more. He's been such a big part of this team, and honestly, he there's a bond forming. You can see it in the locker room. You can see in the games with that three guard starting lineup, um, and I just don't see. Them try, you know, you, you upset the balance, Preston, if you're fighting on the outside looking in, but the Pelicans are on the inside. And once they get Anthony Davis back and let's say Solomon Hill gets back and, you know, knock on wood, no more injuries, you know, you've got already a team that's playoff bound. So I can't see the Pelicans, you know, trying to mess up core pieces, moving important pieces out. Only The only piece would be maybe Oshik, but again, then all of a sudden you're losing your backup center who is actually performing well. And as you mentioned, what team really wants to take on that contract to begin with? So you, just just roundabout circle here. You're right. Alexei Dentz's news does hurt. All of a sudden, who are you going to package up and ship out if the Pelicans can get a productive player back, say, for the wing? So I don't know. I guess we'll see. Kevin, you got anything yeah. else on this? Yeah, I was going to say I feel a little bit different about that than you guys do just because I don't think Agenda being healthy affects the ability to trade him because nobody who's taken him on is actually going to are taking him on because they want him as a player. It's just uh, to gain assets or to dump a bigger salary or whatever, you know, like they're not expecting anything out of him. It's just because they want extra picks or whatever. You're going to be trading it to somebody like the bulls or, or, you know, somebody like that who has the cap space to take them on and, and to just gain assets to, for a rebuild. So I don't necessarily think the injury matters and, I'm but very yeah, glad that you usually... finally team Etwan. I got you. You're finally team Etwan. <laughs> you did get me. Listen, though, isn't that usually those tied into expiring contracts? Considering the Genesis is multi-year, it's tough to sell. I know his contract isn't for much, and maybe a losing team doesn't see it the same way, but I still think it matters, you know, when it's a multi-year contract and the guy's got some kind of severe injury. All of a sudden, I mean, you know, guys, what we got to talk about is where the hell did he get so injured as to where it was – a couple shots in preseason in both knees, and then suddenly now it's a patella. I mean, I'm guessing this sounds like some kind of meniscus cartilage type of issue. I mean, where the hell did he get injured like this to have this all of a sudden come about? You know, that's the bigger news, I think. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how old he is, but he is his late 20s, and uh, you'd have to think this is going to be really critically damaging to his overall career as a basketball player because now he's going to be sitting out uh, with an injury asterisk for – possibly the last two and a half years of his contract with the Pelicans there, there might not be a lot of teams who would take advantage on a guy like that going forward. So uh, really feel for the big guy. Hope he's able to come back and uh, play some meaningful minutes towards the end of the season. And we're, we're probably going to need him. You never know. Ashik has been playing really well, but it's been a small sample size and he's been somebody who's uh, struggled to, to keep weight on. So uh, best wishes to him. You guys ready to move on from this? 
All right, let's yep. do this. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to come to you. Before we move on, I just want to talk about some of the quotes that DeMarcus Cousins gave last night after his great performance. Obviously, you had uh, some some flopping going on from Mason, uh, or Miles Plumley. I can't even remember. It doesn't even matter. Uh, <laughs> where uh, DeMarcus Cousins get these clear out rebounds and somebody, you know, tries to get in his grill like a Russell Westbrook. And he kind of flings his elbows around, initiating contact, you know, trying to get guys off of him. And uh, last night had a real bad flop from uh, Plumlee. And luckily, the, the referees did the right thing. They went and they made sure and they got the right call. And afterwards, DeMarcus was quoted as saying, it's just the antics, man. It's silly, man. Like, just let me live. Just trying to villainize me in the way that it's going. I hate it. Just let me be a basketball player. That's all I'm asking. Obviously, even hours after this took place or an hour or so, DeMarcus Cousins is still fuming. These guys are still getting into his head about all this stuff. He's got seven technicals on the year. Uh, does this concern you to see that this keeps happening on a night in night out basis? Do we, do you think DeMarcus is ever going to get control of his emotions or do you kind of like that? He's this passionate. He does bring another element to the Pelicans that, that like we've discussed a lot, the Pelicans don't have a lot of fiery guys. There's a lot of um, soft tempered, nice guys, Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, Anthony Davis. You don't, you don't see a lot of acting out. And DeMarcus does kind of carry that torch for the Pelicans. So what is your reaction to this quote and all these guys kind of coming after him? Is that for me? Yeah, sorry, that's for Kevin. Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like his fire. I've always said that for, I mean, back to the Monty Williams era, we never really had a lot of guys that were outspoken or fiery. I guess like Tyreek was like the the most outspoken or fiery guy we had on the roster for quite a while. Um, so I like that we have that. Um, I mean, sometimes he lets things get, get him uh, get get too much in his head, and that is a problem, um, and it's something that he needs to work on. But there's something dif- there, there's like differences there. It's not those aren't necessarily the same thing. Being the fiery guy and being the guy that allows things to get into his head, um, they don't necessarily go hand in hand. Um, so he, he needs to find a balance there. And I mean, I think talking about things like this in the post game press conference is the way to go. Like raise this awareness. You're not yelling at an official's face. You know, but you're putting it out there and like, look, I'm doing this and this keeps happening and it's frustrating. So keep an eye on it. But it's not like in the heat of the moment. I mean, he is doing this where he's person at the officials and doing that in the heat of the moment. But if he shifted it more in this direction where it was like post-game commentary and, you know, things like that, then maybe he's going to start getting more of the benefit of a doubt, which would be great because he is getting hacked. He is getting people uh, hanging on to him after a, a uncontested rebound, you know, and he's just trying to swing him off of him and getting calls like that, like against Russell Westbrook. So um, hopefully, you know, he starts channeling those complaints in a in a more productive area. Um, and hopefully he does still keep his fire because we definitely need that too. Uh, let's swing this over to Ali, who is furiously typing in our Twitter chat right now. <laughs> uh, there was a quote. Rajon Rondo had a had a couple of really supportive quotes for his teammates. We'll get to the Drew Holiday one later. But he called DeMarcus Cousins last night the most dominant player in our game. Would you agree with that, Ali? When it comes to certain aspects, yes. Because Boogie has still that rare combination of being able to, to bully his way inside that, you know, there really is no other player that I think that can do that. Center that is, um, so he's a throwback. Yet he's got the skills to go out to the perimeter and compete. You know, as a lot of, um, I think even Mike Malone, the Denver's head coach, said yesterday, he's got the same perimeter skills as of a guard. You know, um, so it's, yeah, I'm not going to argue it. 
You know, the players can say what they want, but typically, and they've, they've honestly been, you know, I want to say pretty honest in their evaluation. So that's not a stretch by any, you know, imaginable possibility. Marcus Cousins definitely is and can be one of the most dominating um, players to stop, you know, in certain parts of the floor. Yeah, so sorry, long extended answer. I'm sitting here reading Twitter. I'm getting distracted constantly. So, yeah, we can move on. From this one. No, Ali and I are looking at reports right now. We're trying to verify the source. Uh, basically, it's just indicating that we might see Anthony Davis Friday night in Sacramento, but we don't have a second source on that, so we're waiting to get more information. Uh, but that's that's a lot of the rumor that was going around at any point this week. Much of us were targeting the 76ers matchup. But anyway, let's move on. Of course, you guys are listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. Uh, Kevin, while Ali collects himself, let's uh, get to the next segment of our podcast, which is the quarterly report. The Pelicans have 13 wins on the season, but it's it's hard for me to pinpoint a, a signature victory thus far. The Spurs game is the, the first one that comes to mind for me. But, you know, the Spurs were absent Kawhi Leonard and Tony Parker. And while we still beat one of the top three teams in the West, record-wise, quite handedly, uh, we didn't really get them at full strength yet. Then we've got the come-from-behind victory against a struggling Thunder team that led by as many as 19 in the first quarter. We've got a come-from-behind victory against the Pacers, the the walloping of the Suns, or the the two big conference victories over the Blazers and the Nuggets. But those wins, again, were without Anthony Davis. So what do you point to as our biggest signature victory, Kevin? Um. The biggest biggest signature victory. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that Spurs game. I mean, I think you start out that game, you're down well, we were down nineteen to start with. Um, and you're playing, you know, historically one of the best teams in, in the league against one of the best coaches. You know, sure they're without Kawhi, but they're still what they were like still second or third in the West no, they're third in the West at that point. And um come back and by the fourth quarter you're up by thirty. Um, I mean that was that was incredible. You know, that, that game was great. Um, also, I think another like really big win was the Portland win because we always have uh, trouble playing in Portland. We were down our star and, and you saw Boogie taking a lot of uh, criticism for the first two, for the two weeks prior to that game. And he just came out and played a very controlled, very dominant game, gave you uh, a lot of effort on defense and the whole team uh, performed really well. And, one in a place that we historically had trouble winning in. So for me, those were the two best games uh, for the team. Um, one, because, you know, it, it's solidified. We have another star we can count on, the one in Portland, and then the one in San Antonio that we were able to handle that adversity and come back and really uh, take that team to task. So um, those are the two I point to, but I guess I'll give some choosing one. It'll be San Antonio. All right, Ali, your turn. What do you uh, look to as the biggest victory this uh, thus far in the 2017-18 season for the Pelicans? It was the second win of the season, Sacramento Kings. The Pelicans were 1-3 and three heading into that game, and they were down by 19 points shortly out of halftime. And there was no Anthony Davis, and fans were staring and thinking about 1-10 start all over again for the third straight season. Because following that Kings game, uh, was the Cavaliers up next who, you know, hadn't been a very bad team. Remember, they went through that bad stretch, but we didn't know it at the time. And they were followed up, and that was followed up by a Magic uh, game, and I do believe the Timberwolves. So, honestly, the Pelicans, were, I thought, were looking at a possible 1-8, and 1-7 type of start to the season. And coming back in that game against the Kings and then Boogie, you know, basically exploding, proving that, 
He uh, he can do it for New Orleans and wins. Um, there, there was just a lot of things because we didn't know anything about the team other than the fact that it seemed like the role players weren't stepping up yet. So to me, I honestly think that was the big the biggest game so far this year. Not to take anything away from playoff caliber teams, but I felt like nobody knew what this team was about. And like I said, they started out of the gate so slowly, one and three, and they were they were legitimately looking at another bad, bad, disappointing start to a season. Definitely. You can give a lot of credence to that. Uh, it was so early in the season and so many eyes, national media and local guys alike, just just almost craving failure from Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins so that they could, you know, as Kevin O'Connor on the ringer calls it, blow it up, trade DeMarcus to, to Washington or to Cleveland for that Brooklyn pick. So that that really steered us into the right direction. As we were talking about earlier, without Rajon Rondo, Jameer Nelson was a was a big part of that victory and a big part of that uh, Los Angeles Lakers game, a game where he had, uh, I think, no sleep going. I can't remember exactly what happened, but he was in New York when he got the call, had to get on a 4 a.m. flight, uh, slept something like two hours before the game and played really well and and got the the Pelicans out of deep water with uh, Anthony Davis out of the lineup as well. Kevin, let's let's keep it going with uh, the Pelicans have also had some some big heartbreakers. We two games to the Raptors, a 20-point advantage that fizzled quickly against Golden State on Monday night, come from behind wins by the Wolves and the Jazz and the butt-whooping that the Magic gave us, although at the time they were shooting something like 60% from three-point range, including Aaron Gordon, who the first month of the season was uh, ridiculous. But uh, that was on the the second night of a back-to-back. We've had a lot of losses on opposing teams' second night of back-to-backs, which has been discouraging. What has been the most disappointing performance this season thus far to date from your point of view? I, I guess I would say um, the the first Minnesota game where you hold Carl uh, Anthony Towns to two points and and you still have trouble uh, winning that game. You know, I felt like that was a very winnable game. It's against a team that we're definitely competing for for a playoff spot, um, and a team that's sort of like kind of become our rival because of the Kentucky big men thing that's going on there, and the, and then also the you know a lot of people had wished that. Uh, Tibbs would have been the coach here during the when Gentry got hired. So there's like all this sort of like connection between those two teams that kind of uh, create like a, a little bit of a, a rivalry there. Um, so you know you're at home, you hold the, their star player to two points. You you should be able to win that game, and that was that was a tough one. I I felt. Ollie, what's your take? Man, I'm right there with Kevin. It was both Minnesota games. You got to win at least one, you think, going in, and, and they were both in the Smoothie King Center, uh, both in November. The first one, as Kevin just described, but the last, or the, the one more recently, where Anthony Davis got thrown out after, you know, looking for a lo- call, looking for a call, and then he finally just basically exploded, something we'd never seen before. Um, I thought that just really hurt. That was a gut punch. I mean, sure, losing like there's, you know, people may point out games like Utah Jazz, but you know what, Donovan Mitchell, and Alec Burks, and, and the whole Jazz team played really well. Like, you can't get too disappointed when the other team explodes. But I thought in both of those Minnesota games, they were both winnable. And as Kevin mentioned, Cat wasn't – he was completely non-existent in the first one. He didn't do much in the second one either. Um, and they didn't really shoot the ball well against us. So it wasn't like – like, say, for instance, our two losses to Toronto, where Toronto just honestly played in high gear. Their offense clicked in both games two losses for the Pelicans. That's understandable to me, but those two Minnesota Timberwolves games, those hurt, and the fact that we may be fighting them for some kind of positioning, um, even if both teams make the playoffs, say we, we end up with the seventh seed and we have to face the Rockets or the Warriors and they get the sixth seed, that would hurt because those are the two teams nobody wants to face. Um, and yes, I am looking ahead because 
I, I think those uh, make a lot of sense. I was I was hoping, not even hoping, but I was thinking somebody was going to mention the Nuggets game. I know you said you have to just throw out games like that. Something like sometimes things like that happen, but it is just so frustrating to see somebody that we've we've just come down to the wire with the Denver Nuggets. Uh, each of the past three seasons, where you know you're just kind of looking up and down at the standings and seeing the Denver Nuggets either one ahead of you or one behind, and that was an important game that we had to have. And and you know we just came out with nothing they got out to a 35 to 6 lead we got it within eight i want to say at halftime before we lost anthony davis so who knows what could have happened in that matchup but just to give up 146 has to be frustrating but like you said sometimes we just have to throw those games out and minnesota is another team that uh they they have those classic matchups between anthony davis and carl anthony towns though this year carl has has really been disappointing um and i really do enjoy whenever anthony davis and carl go go head to head and really really kill each other and tear it up out on the court. So I, I hope that he bounces back. They're a little bit above us in the standing, so they are doing well. But he's taking a back seat with Jimmy Butler there and really hasn't played as well. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about the Pelicans. Um, let's, let's go over to Kevin. Through 25 games, the Pelicans are sixth in scoring. They're 27th in opponents' po- points per game. They're seventh in pace, second in points in the paint, second in assists. However, they are third from last in fast break points given up and bottom 10 in nearly every defensive category, including something we've talked about a good deal, three-pointers allowed where they sit in the bottom five. And lastly, they are bottom five in turnovers, though that kind of makes sense because they move the ball so much and they are giving up too many offensive rebounds to opponents. Uh, That's in the bottom 10 as well. We'll start with Kevin. What is one major facet of the Pelicans game you have been surprised by in a good way? And what is one thing you would concentrate on in the second quarter of the season? Well, okay, uh, something I'm I'm surprised with and pleased with is uh, Drew Holiday, the two attacking two guards. That's something I was not expecting uh, to really be as as productive as it as it has been. You know, I I always thought Drew was a good player. I thought he was a great defender. I never thought he possessed that attacking gene. Um, but we've seen him attack and uh, being next to Rondo has definitely freed him up to do that. And he looks like a totally different player now that Rondo's back. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, it could help a little bit, but I didn't think it would help as much as it has. So that's that's the main thing, um, getting uh, production at two guard, which we haven't really had for a while now. Um, and then the most disappointing thing I would say is I, I can't – I can't believe that we get out-rebounded by teams when we have the bigs that we have. Um, So uh, losing out on those offensive rebounds is uh, troubling to me. All right, Ollie, take over. Okay, we both, all all of us knew that Chris Finch was hired to bring over Denver's style of cutting on all that. What I didn't expect was to see all the Pelicans really take to the system. Um, Looking at the stats right now, they are the third best cutting team in the league. that, that's pretty impressive considering they were usually standing around um, a lot of times last year, like especially if you consider all the wings, they were always down in the corners. Um, and usually it was just a two-man, maybe a three-man game with the most important uh, players like an Anthony Davis, Marcus Cousins, and Drew Holiday. So the fact that they've been able to pick up this system and they're, they're churning out assists, I think they're number two in the league in assists behind the Golden State Warriors. And, of course, all this has come at a price, the high turnovers. But you want they're kind of overcoming now these bad turnovers. I've noticed that the turnovers are trending downward, and that was what everybody was hoping to see. And that is why I remember, like maybe say a month ago, we had a, on a podcast 
you stick with this system we were talking about, Alvin Gentry's system. I said, yes, you've got to try and work out the kinks. So I believe it's all working out. And like I said, I'm in love with this offense. I know that a lot of people aren't still. Boogie's not getting enough touches down low, or he's just, you know, getting up and being pushed up and down the court too much because of the pace. Um, if it's resulting in wins, I don't have a problem with it. He's still young enough. I think he can handle it now. Now we've got some substitutions that can come off the bench. So he doesn't have to play those 38 minutes. As for a negative, Kevin gave a good one. That That's a big stickler for me. I don't understand how we're not a top five um, rebounding team, period. And especially on the offensive rebounding, they're, they're one of the worst. And, again, that makes just no sense to me. Uh, those figures would be really bad if we didn't have Tony Allen. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the rebounding. Everybody knew that the three-point shooting wasn't going to be there. The turnovers, as I mentioned, that that's just the price you pay for playing in this style of offense. So, yeah, I think it's rebounding or, you know, the case I was thinking about making for is for the defense. You know, after all the strides they made last year, all this talk about Darren Ehrman, that that being the one constant we could possibly rely on this season, it hasn't, you know, hasn't been true. Um, it's hard to really pick on the coaching staff, though, because they are not – they don't have Solomon Hill. And integrating DeMarcus Cousins, is, you know, was always going to be a difficulty. Yeah, you've got to share the floor with Anthony Davis. you got a couple bigs, and, and that's what even – you know, that's something I made a big deal about in preseason when uh, – what was his name? Uh, Hugh Weber, who used to be on the assistant coach's staff over or under entry before he moved to the front office. He said the biggest thing coming in this season was going to be the Pelicans' ability to guard down. And uh, they haven't done that good of a job so far. So I guess I'll stick with the defense. Kevin can have the rebounding. Uh, I'm going to do a follow-up question real quick, Ali. Uh, just give us about 60 seconds on this. This this is a stylistic thing. I don't think it's an effort thing. Uh, the Pelicans do sit at 13th in rebounding, so they're not terrible. Uh, they're just giving up a lot of offensive rebound, and I think a lot of that is trying to get back in transition, where they are ninth in uh, transition scoring, and a lot of that is you know outlet passes, you know trying to lead to easy buckets. Are you saying that you'd rather have some of the Pelicans, you know, stay behind and fight for those? rebounds on defense rather than trying to push the pace on every possession? Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. Because we've got, if you look at the, the, the players that are out there, like Rajon Rondo and Drew Holiday, you've got players at almost every position that should be able to rebound. And the fact that the Pelicans, and this was more earlier in the season for me, where they were giving up a ton of second-chance points. I remember, you know, repeatedly Joel Myers just mentioning the fact that eh, there's another couple possessions or whatever you know, we were giving opponents a lot of chances, and that was something, you know, that combined with the turnovers, it was just simply too much to overcome. I feel like we were given so many free points almost every game and almost all the losses, let's say in the first, like within the first 10, 15 games. So real quick to answer that, yeah, Preston, I know that it, it's, you know, we're like middle of the road, but when you look at the size and look at everybody's ability and what they've done previously, it is kind of a disappointment that, you know, they just don't corral more rebounds. Yeah, it just feels like the uh, the Pelican style is going more towards the Chris Finch system, and we're losing a lot of those elements that Darren Ehrman instilled last year when I think we were somewhere right around ninth in defensive production. I can't remember the exact uh, statistic offhand, but we'll get to that in a second. You guys are listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. We're going to start with individual performances now, Kevin, and uh, I think we've, we've got to start with Drew Holiday. Uh, not only has he been a breath of fresh air since Rajon Rondo has come back, uh, he was averaging 40% and 19% from three over the first 10 games. He was turning the ball over significantly uh, at some points at, at five and six turnovers a game before Rondo's back. But 
But now that Rondo's back, Drew Holiday in the last five games alone, 23 points per game. Um, his his three-point shot is up at a, at a modest 28%, but where he was, that's a dramatic improvement. He's shooting really well from two-point range uh, at 48%. His free throw shooting is up in the 80s. I think you guys will remember last year, it was below 70% for significant portions of the season. He was not shooting well from the strike for some reason. Talk about Drew Holiday a little bit, Kevin. Take your time on this one and and just the the dramatic difference we've seen from him ever since uh, Rajon Rondo has been in the lineup. And I want to give you a quote before you go. Rajon Rondo said last night, I think Drew Holiday is one of the best. He's easily one of the top three one-on-one players in our game today. What do you have to say about that, Kevin? Um, well, <laughs> Rajon Rondo is a great wingman. I'll say that. That's, <laughs> that. that's a little bit of an overstatement there, but I do love this new Drew Holiday. Um, he's been incredible since Rondo's come back. He showed some flashes before Rondo's come back too, but since Rondo's been uh, back playing uh, his, uh, what we expected his minutes would be, um, it's really made Drew a completely different player. Um, he's still the, the, the really good defender that we were expecting. You know, he's stealing balls. He's, uh, he's uh, switching on to bigger guys and giving them trouble. He's, you know, he does everything defensively that you want. And now he's added that attacking element. He's driving to the lane. I mean, before we used to see him when he would drive, he used to be so tentative and not sure what to do, whether he was going to lay it up, whether he was going to do a pull-up or where he was going to kick it out. Now he's very decisive when he attacks. Um, he's he's hitting shots from three. I mean, his numbers uh, – I mean, I, I, I'm having trouble with my internet the last couple of days, so I haven't been able to pull up any stats. But I would say the eye test over the last, the, you know, since Ronda's been back, he's definitely shooting much, much better, really high from uh, three-point range. Um, he, he used to struggle in catch-and-shoot situations, but now, you know, he looks like he's uh, comfortable in catch-and-shoot. Um, he still can handle the ball a little bit um, and is being effective there. He's just... He's been a very solid player, and I think if you if the season started now, um, you know, with with Ron when Rondo started playing starters minutes, if that was the start of the season, you can make a case for Drew Holiday, uh, you know, being an All Star guard this year. I mean, that's how well he's been playing. All right, Ali, what do you think? He's up to seventeen six, or sorry, seventeen six and four on the season right now, forty seven percent from the field. I'm wondering if Kevin reads my articles, Preston. That's what I, <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote a nice little piece about Drew Holiday detailing. If you, your internet's not working, working as to look up some stats right now, you should have at least read my article at some point and seen like his three-point percentage recently, all this stuff. Anyway, Kevin, I'm giving you a hard time. The reason I want to do that is because you've always been the Tyreek Evans guy, and I've always been who? The Drew Holiday guy. I've always been in Holiday's corner. Um, we've always pressed, I don't know if you know, but – Going back ever since pretty much Kevin started riding at the bird rides, he's always been Team Tyreek. I've been Team Holiday. We've always kind of just, you know, exchanged little barbs here and there whenever one player would be doing better than the other. So I, it looks like I get well, the final laugh because Tyreek's no longer though. around and Drew Holiday's suddenly playing like a star. <laughs> well, yeah, Holly, it, let me interrupt real quick there. We both like both. That's guys. why I paused. <laughs> we just heard the other one, and we wanted them both to play together, which was always our biggest gripe, is that they were not playing together enough. And now we're seeing, like, not that Rondo is Tyreek, but it's freeing Holiday up more, and that's what we maybe could have had. Sorry. No, I don't no, think anybody... right, Kevin. 
I don't think no, anybody. Yeah. Need, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Preston. Your turn. I, I, I don't, thanks, guys. I don't think anybody needs to apologize for their criticism on Drew Holiday. Uh, the last 25 games of last season into the first 10 games of this season, he was, point of fact, he was bad. He was not good. And it's been such a breath of fresh air from everybody to see the way that he's performing. You know, a lot of guys were just like, be patient, wait for Rajon Rondo to get up into the lineup. And uh, everybody was right, Rajon Rondo, and we'll transition over to him before we talk about him, just like, the, the way that he's making everybody around him better, not just Drew Holiday, not just Etwan Moore. We've seen uh, now Darius Miller has a three-pointer, and I can't remember the exact statistic, but I think it's in 15 games straight. Etwan Moore in his last three games is shooting 81% from three. He's been fantastic. Everybody's playing better with Rajon Rondo. His numbers are quite modest. I, I just took a look at them. They were something like seven points, seven rebounds. At 24 minutes per game, uh, 48% from the field. He's even uh, hit in a couple of threes the the last couple of games. He's only shooting 2.2 per game, but he's up to 31%, which is uh, last year he shot 39%. I'm not sure how that happened. But other than that, this is, you know, right around his career average. Talk about the impact that Rajon Rondo has had. We'll start with Ali. And and did you expect this Rajon Rondo? Because I'm sure all of us were worried, are we going to get the Kings Rondo? Are we going to get the Mavericks Rondo? Uh, are we going to get the regular season Bulls, Rondo? Are we going to get the primetime Rondo, who always seems to, to play such elite basketball? Are, are you surprised that this is the Rajon Rondo that we have, in fact, got in New Orleans right now? No, I'm not surprised. This is one of the few things I think that I've gotten right uh, in, in preseason. I had mentioned Rajon Rondo was going to be able to bring this team together. He was going to be the floor general they haven't had since Chris Paul. He would provide that leadership that they honestly haven't had for probably since Chris Paul, unless you want to count Monty Williams on the sidelines. Um, he brought just a lot of things that w- this team has always needed. It was it's ingredients that I think every good team needs, and the Pelicans were just lacking. Kevin's always touched on it. I've always touched on it, and Rondo's brought it. And the fact that he's also got a little bit of game, and, and, and what I mean by game is the fact that he's still showing he's got enough spring and speed in his legs where he can get passed by defenders and lay it up at the rim. I thought he did a great job last night where he penetrated at least three or four times and got himself easy shots at the rim simply by his quickness and elusiveness and just reading the defense. He, he's been he's been perfect since he's come back. Uh, there's not a negative thing I can say, and that's including his defense. I mean, I know that everybody wants to talk about that Kings Rondo or more specifically the Dallas or the Chicago version uh, before they got in the playoffs where he just wasn't, you know, prime time. He only played in prime time. He wouldn't give that defensive effort. You name it, this and that. Um, I didn't expect that Rondo to show up, simply put, because I had written a long, extensive article detailing where there was something in each of those stops where things didn't go right or where it was a bad combination of players or it was just something like kind of a rift with the coach. Something exists in all of his previous stops where things didn't go right. Um, and, and it's true. Rondo is very hard-headed. He's a very stubborn, very set. Knows, he thinks he knows best. So he's, he can only operate in certain environments, and I just thought that the Pelicans environment was going to suit him perfectly, and so far it has. Uh, just real quick before I give it to Kevin, I just do want to mention, though, we, I don't want us to give too much credit to Rondo that suddenly every player is playing better. Now, granted, a lot of it has to do with him, but I do want to say that Darius Miller found his stroke. Each one more, all these guys before Rondo came back. Um, I remember really, you know, trying to talk everybody up and that the Pelicans were going to struggle out of the gates. If you may remember, Preston, why I picked them to start really slow with that record when we were given those predictions early on was because Rondo suddenly went out. The Pelicans were going to be kind of discombobulated. And 
they were even more so than any of us could have possibly imagined. But I think they started to get their footing, you know, 10, 15 games in, getting a bunch of practice in. We started seeing these role players starting to step up, and now it's coincided with kind of Rondo coming back, and he's just, like, lifted up, uh, I don't know, I'd say, what, maybe up another couple notches. So Rondo deserves plenty of credit, but I don't think he deserves all the credit. Uh, Kevin, unless you're dying to jump in on Rondo, we're going to do a bit of lightning round since we only have about 18 minutes left. And I still want to touch upon some of the coaching. Uh, I do want to agree about the Darius Miller stuff before I, I move on. But just uh, hit Rondo's, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but since Rondo's return, Darius Miller's scoring performances have been 21, 13, 6, 11, 12, 10, 6, 12, 15, 10, 9, and 9. Before that, he only had two double-digit scoring performances. But you're right, his he really started coming alive, I think, against Dallas uh, was his first game where he scored nine points. Mm-hmm. Uh, five games before that, he put up a donut. But uh, let's talk about Etwan more because I, I wanted to save this one for Kevin because obviously Kevin's such we, – we all love Etwan more. I think he's a guy that the Bird Rice universally is, is two thumbs up on. But his last four games, he shot 17 17- from 20 uh, or 17 for 23 from three, which is good for 74%. He scored 18 points, 19 points, 27 points, and last night, 14 points. Kevin, Etwan Moore has has more than earned his contract at this point in the season. Uh, how well has he been playing and what's changed for him? Um, he's been great. I mean, uh, this is the Etwan Moore I've expected. You know, I mean, um, before the start of last season, I, I did his season preview um and I was expecting him to have this kind of season last year you know I I felt like he had that heel injury that sort of slowed him down last year and then I I felt like the scheme you know like that was the thing that always bothered me with Alvin Gentry prior to this year was that you know we hear talk about movement being such an important thing but we never see guys moving off the ball we never see guys running around screens now Etwan is constantly running around like he he looks he looks like Ray Allen out there running around screens, making cuts, driving, <laughs> finding open spots, and and they're finding him with the ball. And he's you know this is what what you wanted. And um, I think he's healthy. I think he's comfortable now that he's he has a clear role. He's the starting small forward um, or you know third guard, whatever you want to call it. Those guys like like Ali has said, he's he's built up this great chemistry with uh, Rondo and and uh, Holiday. And uh, guys trust him. Um, his floater game has always been great. I love when he drives to the basket, puts up floaters. His defense has been solid. He's just a really solid player. And and now, like, his offense is starting to shine more um, now that he that people trust him, now that he's, he's in a system that has him moving and uh, – and is and suits his skills and, and and he's got a lot of room because of the attention that other people draw, you know. So I'm I'm I've always loved Ethan, so I'm very happy that he's finally like really thriving. Now we're going to move right along, Ollie. Uh, I want to talk about Dante Cunningham with you. Through the first 15 games of the year, he was obviously starting at the three position before Etuan Moore took over. Uh, once Rajon Rondo got back into the lineup, I think those coincided around the same time. Uh, he wasn't playing particularly well. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, over the last several games, he's been playing a lot more backup four minutes, and he's been playing a bit better. He's only at 23 minutes per game. He's at uh, six points and four rebounds per game, not shooting particularly well, 41% from the field, 30 percent from three and we all remember uh, a lot of those uh those 
wide open corner threes that just don't seem to be going in this year. However, he has been a little bit better in the last week. What would your grade for Dante Cunningham be thus far uh, through 25 games? He was going to be my no-brainer disappointing player of the year, but as you mentioned, he stepped up. He's, uh, I think, three first four games this month have got in front of me. He's actually shooting 44% from three-point range. He's averaging seven rebounds a game. No, listen, just under 20 minutes a game. That, that's, that's actually a side of Dante Cunningham we've never even seen before, where he's that aggressive on the board, and yet he's still keeping the defenses honest by, you know, making some shots. And he's even been cutting what Kevin has always harped on. Dante is a good cutter. We're finally seeing him cutting and converting at the rim. Um, before, God, oh, through the first, like, 15 games, the guy couldn't buy a basket anywhere. And he, you know, have bad turnovers or he'd be left wide open. He'd just be standing, looking just to pass. You know, he wouldn't even be in a position to be a threat. So he has somehow miraculously turned around. I'd love to know what that goes back to. But, yeah. In Anthony Davis' absence, he has stepped it up real big in that starting power forward spot. He's really helped Cousins on the board. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I don't know if somebody's talking, but all of a sudden I'm hearing a voice in my ear. Yeah, I'm going to test this off. It sounded for a second like you were putting on a jacket or something, like your phone was in your ear and it was constantly moving back and forth. So I was like, I wonder if he's like changing his shirt right now or something. But yeah, I just, I did just hear that, uh, that other voice over maybe on Kevin's line. We've had a, little bit of interference. We apologize for that, guys. Let's keep this going. We've got about 13 minutes left, so let's do like 30 seconds or, or less on these guys. We already talked about Darius Miller a good bit, so I don't think we need to cover him. He's been playing much better. Uh, Kevin, talk about Tony Allen. Well, you know, Tony Allen has been a little bit of a disappointment for me lately. I mean, he seems to be making a lot of uh, non-seasoned vet mistakes, you know, especially in that Golden State game. Um, he looked a lot better last night. Um, he's still missing a lot of uh, layups that are frustrating, but you know, you're not, we weren't expecting him to be a huge part of the rotation. I don't think anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. And if he's providing that leadership in the locker room, that's what we want. Um, you know, hopefully he starts hitting some layups and stops having these mental lapses out there on the court. Yeah, I love having Tony Allen on the team. I know he's a he's a minus right now, and I know he makes some of those bonehead mistakes like back-to-back three-point fouls. Although uh, SB Nation had a great video up of Tony Allen's defense on those two consecutive possessions against Golden State where he didn't actually touch the guy shooting, but Steph Curry just being Steph Curry. Uh, sometimes he's, he's going to get those calls, but I love his energy. I love, like you said, his veteran leadership. He is going to make some of those mental mistakes, but just having somebody out there, balls to the wall, 99.9% of the time, I think does help uplift the energy levels of a team like the Pelicans. Uh, let's move over to to check Diallo uh, right now, Ali, a guy who pretty much is just on the end of the bench in danger of going back to the D League at this point. Would you say that, Ali? Yeah, I agree. But we've got to, the person we've got to look at pressing is his age and his lack of basketball playing experience, which is huge. He's barely played any high school, any college, and any NBA. He's just simply not played any minutes of professional basketball. Uh, let alone amateur basketball. So it's hard to critique him comparing him to other players. Yeah, sure. We saw him have a great um, Las Vegas summer league, but, you know, that, that summer league, and obviously it didn't translate because he's, he's making plenty of mistakes. He's very raw still. He's got he's shown some promising skills all over the court, but he just simply can't get any minutes pressed in, and this was before uh, when we needed that third emergency big uh, when Ashik and, and uh, Jensen weren't playing. Y'all wasn't able to give him those minutes. That's why the team did add Josh Smith. So 
with Diallo, you don't give him a grade. I give him an incomplete. All right. And obviously, uh, we're not talking about Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Those guys have to be A's or A-pluses. You can talk about the frustrations on Boogie or the injuries on Anthony Davis, but these are two, obviously, top 10 players who uh, make the Pelicans who they are. Let's go to Ian Clark, Kevin. Uh, early on in the season, I think it was against the Lakers, we remember Joel Myers uh, passionately stating to the microphone that you've got to get this guy more minutes. And ever since then, since we've gotten Rajon Rondo and Jameer Nelson into the lineup, this this guy's been a ghost on the court for the Pelicans. Uh, he hasn't played particularly well, but for a volume shooter like like him, it's 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 hard to play well when you're not getting a lot of minutes. Uh, what's your take on Ian, Kevin? Well, I was never like that excited about the Ian Clark signing to begin with. I mean, I thought it was fine because it was at a veteran minimum and he's an NBA level player. But um, I just always thought he was a guy who benefited from playing in a great system with other great players that made him look a lot better than he was. You know, a lot of people thought that he would get like Jonathan Simmons kind of contract and he didn't because I feel like that's what most people thought of him was, you know, I'm talking about like league wide uh, front office people were like, yeah, he's a solid player, but he's not a special player like Jonathan Simmons. Like Jonathan Simmons gives you that athleticism, that great defense, and that and Ian Clark doesn't give you that. He can hit the open shot, sure. Um, he's okay with the ball, but he he's not a special player. He's he's NBA average. He has no super special skill. So it's a little bit. I think people are disappointed because they just had a higher expectation of what he was and didn't really see what he was. And I, I've always felt like this is what he was. And he would be getting a lot of minutes with us if other people hadn't stepped up, but other people are out playing him, and those people are playing well. Eflon's playing well. Rondo's playing well. Holiday's playing well. I mean, who do you want to sacrifice minutes for? You know, I'd rather see Darius get more minutes than Eflon get more minutes than Ian Clark. So I'm not trying to hate on the guy. I think he's fine, um, but I just don't think he was as good as people thought that he was going to be. Yeah, let's, uh, Ali, if you have any takes on Ian Clark, get on in there. I know a lot of us uh, were very hopeful that both he and Jordan Crawford were going to give us the long-distance shooting that the Pelicans so desperately needed. But who who to thunk it? We're getting it from Darius Miller and Etuan Moore and Drew Holiday lately, so we don't really need it at this point. Uh, touch on Ian Clark if you want to. Otherwise, let's discuss, like, I think one of the bigger surprises of the season at this point, and that's getting meaningful uh, positive minutes from Omar Ashik. Yeah, just real quick with Clark, I wanted to say I had high expectations. And, you know, he started the season actually well. Joe Myers had a point um, in October. Clark was one of our better three-point shooters, better scorers off the bench. Uh, that's when Cunningham wasn't doing a thing. Miller, Tony Allen, Drew Holiday was struggling to uh, connect from the outside. Even each one more, even though his percentages were okay, he was only averaging like around 11 points in 32 minutes a game. So I thought Clark got off to a good start, but he's just vanished. And for the reasons Kevin mentioned, there's just depth ahead of him. So I just want to say that I think we haven't seen the last of Clark. I bet you either an injury is going to crop up or for whatever reason, Clark's going to come back. He's going to be um, probably a useful piece maybe for a month or two of the season. Uh, we haven't seen the last of him. I still think that he's got something to show because he's, I think he's a talented player, offensive player, and that's what this league has become. Moving on, you're right. Let's talk Omar Ashik. I mean, what? <laughs> I don't. First of all, I don't know if that's even right to call him by that name because the last time we ever talked about Omar Ashik, it was a guy that couldn't play basketball. I thought suddenly this guy looks like anything but. He's played four games and he's had positives, uh, multiple positives in every game. He's setting great screens out there, freeing up shooters, especially Drew Holiday, who gushed over him after uh, I think it was a Golden State game. 
Um, he's also been great on the offensive, or I'm sorry, on the glass period, grabbing every rebound in sight. And his feet, they've been nimble enough to guard um, almost any player that he's come up against. So he's really done everything that's been expected of him. He, he's not resembled the player that the fans have grown to hate over the last two seasons. Um, and that's great for a guy that's career that was probably on the line with that Crohn's disease where it wasn't even sure if that was the correct diagnosis to suddenly be playing and being productive. I don't think there's a better story. I think for years he was the worst contract in the NBA, but now you've got guys like uh, Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov and Joaquin Noah, who you can debate who who is the better player of those four right now, but he's he's making significantly less money than those guys, and he's he's been that backup five that we've been so desperate for. It's it's really been a pleasant surprise, and we are so happy for him because I know Kevin has seen him around New Orleans and just all the weight that he lost. Glad that he's putting it back on. Glad that he's playing so well and. Who's to say? Maybe the, the, the lighter load has, has helped him be more nimble out on the court. But at any rate, glad to have him back. Uh, glad that he's playing well. Uh, you guys, before we wrap up, let's let's talk a little bit about coaching in front office. We mentioned some of the stuff like, you know, giving Ian Clark that, that veteran minimum, spending a little bit more money on Dante Cunningham and Darius Miller than that most Pelicans fans thought that we needed to, pushing us so so close to the hard cap. Uh, the Pelicans' style of play has so uh, dramatically changed from from a top ten defensive team to uh, a top ten offensive team with Demarcus Cousins in the lineup. We'll start with Kevin. Uh, just just talk about some of the front office, some of the coaches, Darren Ehrman, Chris Finch's performance, as well as uh, your boyfriend Alvin Gentry. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've I've always been um, a Dell defender. You know, I think he's done a pretty good job. You know, he's always found some good players he's had bad luck you know I mean look Eric Gordon before he came here looked like he was going to be one of the best two guards in the league and then he got hurt and then whatever happened you know his injuries all that trying to overcome that and his in his um, personality and his unhappiness here led to non-productivity on the court and he's being productive over in Houston Tyreek Evans was a rookie of the year. He was a solid player. He came here when him and Drew Holiday would play together on court. They were great. I remember Ali had a piece about this years ago uh, where it was, uh, you know, the numbers when Drew and Tyreek played together, their their plus minus was out of this world. And for whatever reason, whether it was injury or coaching decisions, they just never got to play together. And that sort of iteration of the Pelicans never got to really exist due to injuries. Um, and then now you look at these role players that he's brought in here. He's got us another superstar. Um, even like Ashik's making his, like, you know, I mean, this is a very small sample size, but we're seeing Ashik playing like the Ashik that we saw initially when he first came here. And that's, that's great. He's being productive. So even that contract that you thought was terrible isn't so terrible anymore um, at the moment. Um, so I think that's great. I think Dell's being, uh, you know, He's going to start getting his due because he's. I thought he's done a much better job than he gets credit for. Um, you know, and I have to say, like the last few, few games, I'm I'm buying into the way this offense is running. You know, I mean, I still would like to see. Uh, oh my God! <laughs> I'd like to see. Hey, you know, I got to give credit when it's due. I'm not one of these guys that's going to beat the guy up because I thought, you know, something else. You know. I'd still like to see Boogie in the paint more, but we are seeing Boogie in the paint a little bit more with Anthony Davis out, which is nice. Um, so, you know, but people are getting open shots. Shots are being created. People are hitting the shots. People are comfortable. Rondo sort of fixed a lot of the flaws 
I think that we had before. Um, the role players are stepping up, and I think it's just a combination of those two things. The role players are comfortable now, and so they're they're making shots that they weren't making before. That makes the offense look better. And uh, you know, hey, I'm 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 happy. I'm satisfied. Um, so. I think we're uh, we're in a very good spot right now, and I think we're about to go on a nice little run, especially once uh, AB comes back. All right, we'll get to you in a second, Ali. Just wrapping up before we do that. All right, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate you guys so much. If if you can do a little bit more, make sure you retweet this. Talk talk about this pod with your friends, and uh, if you can, search our pod on iTunes and give us a five star rating. We we started from the bottom, now we're here, and we want to keep going, but we can't do it without you guys' help. Okay, with that being said, let's go back to Ollie. Let's talk about the the, the change in the style that the Pelicans have, have had under Chris Finch and kind of Darren Ehrman being back on the back burner. And when I talk about being back on the back burner, I, I just mean stuff like chasing these guys on these guys out on three-pointers, uh, valuing transition offense over, you know, getting those rebounds back on defense, potentially making it a bit more difficult. Talk about your your views on the coaching staff here, the style the Pelicans play. Uh, you spoke earlier about going after those boards a bit more. What else would you change as far as the coaching style goes right now? Well, I don't want to change anything. I thought that we need to give these guys a good legitimate chance to prove uh, they could get the players to function as they, uh, you know, as they saw best fit. And I think we're seeing that. Pelicans have the eighth best offense in the league. After two years where Gentry had, was in the bottom ten, Close, I think maybe what bottom five in the league. That's outstanding. The Pelicans are, have the fifth best. Uh, was it effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage? Look across the board. They're they're making shots. And and what was the big knock on the Pelicans this season? They wouldn't have enough shooting. They wouldn't score enough points by all the pundits. They've been flat out wrong. So I couldn't be happier on that end. Um, and remind me too, press after the show that we got to get Kevin a, a Team Gentry T-shirt. But moving on. <laughs> I, I do want to quickly touch on that. With, and as far as the front office uh, moves that Dell made, remember what I said? I gave him an A because of, you know, once the team committed Drew Holiday, they didn't have much space. I loved who they brought in, and I still do. I wouldn't change a single thing. And that even includes Ian Clark, who's really struggled. So Dell Demps had an A for me in preseason. He's got one still right now. And I've really got to do him a favor by writing a good article about Giving, giving the Pelicans front office a lot of credit for where the Pelicans stand right now because nobody did. Let's face it, all we, all we read was from the ringer and from other sites. Look at who they surround Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins with. The laughing stock. Both the guys will be traded out of New Orleans, and Gentry will be out of a job. Same thing with Del Demps. Far from the truth, huh? Um, so I, I think just credit all around. Um, and as for what changes I would like to see the coaches make, it, it, it would just be minor ones. It will be – making sure that the team kind of learns to value every possession a little more because those loose turnovers when it comes to either Boogie trying to split defenders or, or that goes for any offensive player or, or forcing a pass that isn't there instead of settling for just swinging it around the perimeter. Um, too many times we're trying to mimic, and Alvin Gentry told me this the other day, we're trying to mimic uh, the Golden State Warriors out there, and they do make a lot of turnovers where they're trying to, especially Stephen Curry, they try and force it through these holes that almost don't exist. And we've only got one player on the team that can do that, and that's Rondo. So if it's not Rondo making that type of pass, I don't want to see the Pelicans try it. So I would look for them to clean that up offensively, and I would love, just love to have one of the two big guys constantly be somewhere around the, the rim when the shot goes up because they've got to get better on the offensive rebounding glass. You've got two dominant bigs, and it, it's just it's so woeful when, when the team 
what is it? Let me just look at it real quick. I've got here from me. They're 23rd in offensive rebounding percentage. That's, that, that, that can't happen. We've got to add more second chance points because there's going to be those nights where you play the tougher teams. So they're going to be playing tougher defense. You're not going to have those open looks. You're going to have to create points another way. And that's usually through turnovers, fast break points or second chance points. And the Pelicans best bet is to use that size to their advantage. So it's, it's just a couple small things, Preston, but I would like to see them just go ahead and pick up on the offensive rebounding. Just play a little bit smarter on offense. No, uh, you guys seem super positive so far, and I, I guess we're all delighted at 13 and 12. I was I was hoping to have a couple more of those victories. Obviously, we have to give them a, an overall grade because it is, in fact, working. The Pelicans have looked really good the last couple of games, uh, albeit with Anthony Davis out. Some stuff that I, I – Obviously, this is just coming from a fan. Nobody crucify me on Twitter. I'm not an expert like these two guys, but <laughs> I, I see a lot of our defenders like fighting under screens and getting caught a step behind, allowing for open three-point shots. And I think most of the guys on the floor for us are capable of switching or just, you know, rotating over the screen just to just to keep your chest in front of the guy shooting his chest rather than just putting a hand up in his face and just having that guy clear with, with too much space. We see a lot of those guys like running off to, to stop a three-point shooter by just waving an arm and going by them. I'd rather them keep their body in front of them. Darius Miller, I love his aggressiveness. I want more of it. Uh, Boogie's dribble penetration, yet you know, the, that's that highlight reel stuff that we saw last night where he's going between his legs and he's got a, a nice spin move and he gets around Kenneth Fareed. Man, I, I couldn't help but get upset at that because I was like, ah, for every one of these, there's going to be four of these that result in turnovers. Um, and then Anthony Davis, just uh, one part of his game that we talked about in the offseason that I'd really like to see him working on is is being a better distributor. You know, he gets all that attention when those two, three guys swarm him in the paint. And, you know, he's he's so amazing that he's still he's he's still capable of getting the bucket. But uh, with two to three guys around him or getting his own rebound and putting it back in. But, man, if he could develop that type of game that Bogey has right now, finding those open shooters at three-point range, I think that really opens up the offense to the next level. But um, that's that's just me going on my 45-second rant. You guys know so much better than me. Uh, I guess I guess we're good to wrap up on this point. Uh, I'll, I'll throw it back to Kevin. Did we miss anything? Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't discuss here? No, well, one thing I was just going to throw out when you're uh, – we didn't really – a little bit about Darius, just about his shooting, but uh, I would say that I've noticed this, and I think we, I think Ali and I talked about this last night when we were watching the game, is that I've noticed him make a lot of really nice, have a lot of really nice uh, on-ball defensive possessions lately. Like, he's really been staying in front of this man and challenging the shot uh, as, as they're driving to the basket and stuff like that, so that's also positive, and he's made a real nice, uh, some really nice passes lately, too, so um, Seeing him becoming more than just a shooter, being more of an all-around guy, um, that's extremely positive. You know, hopefully, I, I hope he gets, gets more minutes and uh, gets a little bit more involved earlier on in the offense uh, come going forward because I think he's a really good player, and uh, that was a great find by uh, by Dell. All right, Ali, any any closing comments? Anything that you wanted to touch upon that we didn't get to? No, I don't think so. I thought we nailed everything. We hit most disappointing, gave, gave the right amount of credit to everybody, and we talked about every single person on the roster. So, no, we're all good.
All right, uh, some news for you guys. We're going to have Justin Barrier on here at uh, Saturday morning. That's late-breaking news. So, Kevin and Ali, if you guys want to join me for that, uh, we'll have that up by early Saturday afternoon, uh, doing kind of the same thing that we're doing here, recapping, getting his take, uh, kind of a, a national media guy's take on the Pelicans, the state of things, and and what a lot of the guys at the Ringer and ESPN are, are seeing from the Pelicans. Because sometimes it is very nice to have an outside source, especially somebody uh, as – well, first is Justin Barry. I have a lot of respect for that guy. Um, but for me, I'm Preston Ellis. That's Ali Cosell, Kevin Barrios. Uh, Ali, you want to take us out? I'm going to let Kevin take us out on this one because you had me do it last time. Kevin, go for it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I wasn't prepared. I was like, ooh, Ali got this one. I'm out of here. I got sirens going on outside. I was distracted for a second. Um I'm putting my leash on my dog right now. <laughs> oh, this is well, this is can't miss podcasting right now. Yeah, man. Let's uh, let's just go out on this train wreck. How about that? Sounds great. <laughs> let's go, pals. It's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance.